This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Thank you for tuning in to the Beaver Tales Podcast. I am your host, Josh Wharton. On this podcast, I talk with former Oregon State student-athletes, whether very recently graduated or a long time ago or anywhere in between, about their time in Corvallis playing for the Beavers and what they've done in life ever since. My guest today was the best man in the wedding of a former guest on this podcast. Actually, the only non-OSU student-athlete I've had in this podcast was a little of a special episode. Bob Welch joined me a couple of weeks ago, and he's the connection for today's guest. Jay Losey was a defensive back at OSU in the mid-70s, not to mention a good friend of Bob Welch. Jay earned first-team All-Pac-8 in 1976 as a defensive back, twice named the top student-athlete at Oregon State. Jay Losey coached at Linfield for 23 years, part of that stint as the head football coach there. Losey helped the Linfield Wildcats to win three national titles. In 2005, the Oregonian named Losey one of the state of Oregon's top 25 most influential sports people. He was the head coach for 10 of those years before coming back to OSU and joining his old high school teammate in Mike Riley. That's right, Jay Losey and Mike Riley helped Corvallis High School win the 1970 football state title, and they teamed back up at Oregon State on the coaching staff up until 2014 when Mike Riley jumped for Nebraska, and that's when Jay Losey headed for Lewis and Clark, where he's been the head coach ever since. Right now, they're in a holding pattern. The Northwest Conference has suspended play until January 1st, so we talk a little bit about his time right now at Lewis and Clark, his time at Oregon State, coaching philosophy, his connection with legendary Linfield coach and athletic director Ad Rutschman, who happens to be the grandfather of a certain Adley Rutschman, but he's also famous in his own respect, and a lot of other topics. So, a wide-ranging conversation with former Oregon State football player and current head coach at Lewis and Clark University. Please welcome Jay Losey. Our school is shut down because of the smoke right now, so everything's online, everybody's ready to go, but it's going well, it's, it's good. Kids are, I think, dealing with it really well. That's kind of the first thing I was going to say is now that football doesn't seem to be happening in the fall, the Northwest Conference officially kind of pushed it back to January 1st is the last that I've seen. How have conversations gone with the players who I'm sure are pretty bummed that they can't play in the fall, at least not like normal? How has that gone communicating with your team and staying in touch with the players? You know, I, I think there's a lot of things you can't control. And obviously, this is something you can't control. So I think you've got to kind of just roll with it in terms of how can we get better because of this. And uh, we're taking it on as a real opportunity to grow. Uh, you know, here we are, September 2020. Well, who will we, who will we be September 2021? And uh, we're talking about, you know, I mean, athletically, academically, and even career exploration, you know, trying to find out. Uh, how we can grow in that way. So I, I, I think our guys were taking it on very well and uh, taking it on as an opportunity to grow and get better. At our level, you can't redshirt, so this is sort of a redshirt. We're scheduled to keep some games in the spring. Not sure exactly how that might look. It's really not really playing for anything other than uh, I'm gonna call it pride. And so it'll be it'll be fun to play, but it'll be fun to kind of. I'm going to call it kind of an exhibition season to get, get kids opportunity and experience and then to truly focus on 2021 fall for us. The fun thing looking back at your coaching 
story and where you've been and, and kind of the comparison of Linfield and Lewis and Clark being in the same conference and, and, you know, bookending your time at Oregon State for that matter. What led you to want to come back to uh, the Northwest Conference in particular, maybe just Lewis and Clark? How did that come about to say your time at Linfield, I'm sure was fun. Oregon State was fun and a lot of fun memories either way. Definitely different style of play, different job description and all that. So what led you to say, all right, I'm going to go back to Lewis and Clark and try the, the D3 thing again? Well, I enjoyed Linfield College uh, very, very much. I enjoyed my time at Oregon State very much. And, you know, Mike had, had taken the job at Nebraska. There was no guarantee for me to do something, be a part of that at Nebraska. There was just no guarantee. This had been something that I'd been approached about about a month before Mike took off and was contemplating whether to do it or not. I was intrigued with the opportunity of being a head coach. Uh, again, I was intrigued with a possibility of building a program, and uh, it was going to be a build. So I was intrigued with that. So then when Mike ended up taking the job, I just felt, well, let's, this is an opportunity for us to stay in the state to run with, with this program and start something new. So not really start something new, but rebuild something. What you said about building the program at Lewis and Clark is another thing I was going to touch on because – at Linfield, it's a different, you know, history of the program. Linfield has the record now for most consecutive winning seasons. I think 64 now in a row of what you were a part of, uh, not to mention the championships. And so then you come to Lewis and Clark where the program the year before you came in went 0-9. And, and eventually you snapped, a, I think it was a 33-game losing streak. And so it's just a different, a different sort of position that the program's in. It's still – you know, a lot of work either way, whether it's a successful program or whatever the background may be. But what are some of the uh, similar or different things you've done at Lewis and Clark compared to Linfield, even though they're in the same conference? But what, what has kind of felt different about Linfield, as you said, you know, building the program? One of the real positives, uh, Ad Rutschman was the, I'm going to call him the guru or the guy that was the really architect at, at Linfield. And, uh, and I was fortunate, Mike Riley was fortunate to be mentored by him. And I think Mike would tell you that uh, uh, that's the guy that's had the biggest impact on his life. Even though Barry Bryant, Johnny Robinson, you know, all these other great coaches he was around. And for me, just a tremendous mentor. And uh, so to me, I, I'm just trying to base our program on the similar values. And so we focus on the concept of team effort attitude and leaving a mark of class wherever you go so that's that's our big focus we have a mission statement is to help make men of excellence in school life and football and in the process create a brotherhood so those are things that we believe in and so it's more of a process of building people and developing people and, and thought processes is, is if we do that then the the wins will take care of itself so that's really our foundation and uh to me, it's uh, been fun, and we've got a good buy-in, I think, from our coaches, you know, and I think our players as well. So that's what we try to do. I'd also like to touch on the coaches that you played for when, when you were still playing football at Carvalho High School and Oregon State and, and the men that you learned from, starting with Chuck Solberg at Carvalho High School, who then actually came to Oregon State and coached you a little bit. You had DeAndros as your first head coach at Oregon State. Craig Fertig, I believe, was just your senior year in, in 1976, not to mention assistants like Bud Riley, Mike's father, a lot of other assistants. So... Of all the coaches that you had, whether you know one of those that I mentioned or someone else, 
who do you think that you ended up resembling the most? Maybe a guy you took a lot away from. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's all of them to some degree. You take pieces from everyone, but does one of them stick out as you kind of ended up emulating them a little bit? You know, I don't, I don't know if I uh, emulate this person and I only was around this coach for one year. His, his name was Rich Brooks and Rich Brooks was my freshman defensive back coach and uh, just great respect for him and he was defensive coordinator and, and, uh, and also the defensive back coach, but strong technician, kind of a grinder, what I'm going to say, but hot messages that he gave you. He coached you up with good information, good feedback. Uh, I, I just think, and he was pretty strong and, and confident, if you would, but you felt good about your technique growing as a person, growing as, a, as an athlete story I was really curious to, to learn more about. You hired Marcus Lattimore as a, an assistant coach this summer, I think probably just a month or two ago, if not more recent. How did you land Marcus coming from South Carolina? How, how did he come all the way over to Oregon? Well, Marcus is a great story. About early March, he had indicated that he was headed to Portland. He emailed me, kind of random. I, I've really had no contact with Marcus prior to that. He uh, emailed me and, and uh, indicated he was heading out to Portland and would like to be associated with a, with a football team and wanted to know if we might have something available. And, you know, of course, you go, well, absolutely. You know, I said, but we don't have much, you know, means. You know, there's not a position. But we talked about stuff. And, and uh, anyway, it's worked out where his energy, his focus wanted to be on developing people and on kind of as a life coach. So, and he's also assisting with, with running backs, but it's just been a really incredible opportunity for us to have a person of his background. Um, and I, I tell you what, he is deep and uh, very, his, his real goal is, is, uh, is counseling and getting involved with, uh, we've got a counseling program up here that might work out and the hardships that, that things that he has gone through, he's gone through some real adversity with his knee injury. A quick interruption on this episode to let you know about a special project I think you'll enjoy, the Beaver Tales documentaries, including exclusive audio interviews, narration, and retelling what made the 2018 Beaver baseball postseason so special. Every single game, Oregon State would play in Omaha. Two or three really weird things that maybe I'd never seen before would always happen. When he hit the home run, out of my coaching career, that's without a doubt the most exciting thing I've ever been a part of. This audio documentary series will come out in a few months. To subscribe, there's a link in this episode's description. Check out the website and put your email down there so you can be one of the first people to listen to the Beaver Tales documentaries. All right, back to this episode. When you were the chief of staff at OSU, some of your responsibilities dealt with leadership development and job placement for players after football and, and team building. Is there a story of an OSU player that you remember working with um, who grew up before your eyes, did something cool after college, a, a memory of a Beaver football player that sticks out in your mind from your time in Corvallis? Kind of a lot of kids kind of going by. Gabe Miller is a, a guy that we've, we've utilized. Cam Collins is a guy that it's been kind of fun to reconnect with those guys kind of up in Portland. So Gabe Miller, for instance, is, I don't know if I said this or not, but I believe works with Perlow Construction up here in town in Portland, and, and construction engineering was his role. He was always on a pretty good path, and he, he got some, some years in the NFL and did a great job, uh, but what the fun part is, is 
we've got a tight end in our program right now who wants to be involved with construction. And uh, so I've been able to connect Gabe and, and him just as a mentor. And that's kind of the neat thing of, uh, of Portland. There's a, there's a lot of beavers, former beavers around that I can make use of. And it's been fun. Timmy Oshinoa, another player that very goal oriented. I mean, I, I believe he was in engineering. I'm not exactly sure what kind of engineering, but his whole purpose of the engineering major at Oregon state was so he could work with Nike, you know, and that was so intriguing for him why he came out from Ohio and Timmy's, We've got engineering majors at our place, and uh, Timmy's connected via Nike, via engineering, and he's given back and, and met with some of our players we do at dinner. So Taylor Kavanaugh, I mean, I, you know, you kind of go on. Taylor Kavanaugh was an engineering guy. He, I believe, took off and did a kind of a, a trip with friends to Australia, Samoa, New Zealand, Hawaii, and made, a, made some movies and kind of captured his experiences there. Then he went to work with, I believe, Turner Construction Company up in Seattle. And he decided, you know, what I really want to do is make movies. So he's been, he's got a company called Blue Ox Films. <laughs> you know, so it's been fun to track our guys, no question, you know, former Beavers. And, and then they've come back and shared their stories. I've been able to ask them to come back and would you share your story with our guys? So it's been kind of fun. Cam Collins, another kid, very involved at Oregon State. He came and spoke to our guys again at Lewis and Clark. And uh, when he came and spoke, he says, coach, at my job, I introduced him as kind of helping out with football at Adidas. He says, my job title just changed today. I'm now in charge of all of football for Adidas. And, and, you know, he was 30 years old, 29, 30 years old. So anyway, just that's been fun uh, to track a lot of kids and what they're doing. And, and, and then they, they're given back and they've got great stories. So a lot of, lot of fun stories. And since you were involved in, in helping, you know, grow them as football players and as people, and you now see a similar role at Lewis and Clark and see some of those guys like Gabe Miller, you know, mentoring at least one of your players at Lewis and Clark, this may be a little bit more of a philosophical question, but what do you think is the most important thing when it comes to mentoring, especially one-on-one, -on -one, helping someone grow even outside of football? What do you start with when you're, you know, labeling a, a specific person, you want to help them grow, pour into them? What, what is kind of the basis of what you start with when it comes to mentoring or dare I say, discipling someone to be something bigger and better than who they are now? You know, something that was interesting for me when I was put into this chief of staff position <clears throat> I just wasn't sure how well received, if you would, pushing beyond a career. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Pushing beyond beyond football, beyond college, <clears throat> how how well received that would be, how how motivated kids would be. <clears throat> and uh, kind of an eye-opening deal. We did a team building activity over in Bend. We took 29 guys over to Bend and we camped out on the Bend High School football field and we had a uh, a mentor, what we called a mentor dinner, where we invited people out of band that most of them had beaver or football connections. And they went around a table and talked to this group who maybe this person was an, a, a recruiter for medical, uh, the medical career, medical administration career. This person was maybe in real estate. Uh, this person was perhaps in education, but just a variety of different topics of people, careers. 
And uh, after we did that, I, I had a, a couple of players come up to me and say, coach, that's the best thing I've ever done, you know? And, and it really surprised me. You know, I mean, I, it was so well received, I guess is what I'm saying. So I think there's a hunger and a concern about what do I do after, uh, uh, what do I do after, uh, after football? You know, football may, may be my ticket to the NFL, may be an opportunity to that, but there's a good chance it may not be. And that was Scotty Crichton. If you remember Scotty Crichton, that was a kid that, that brought that up and said, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me or not ever happened to me, but one of the best things that's ever could have happened. It was me being able to connect with, talk with people that were football players that made it into life as careers. So I, I think part of it is just, uh, you know, where's the starting points? Probably just caring uh, about people. And, and the neat thing about mentors is they basically like telling their story, right? Yeah. It's not hard to recruit the mentors. And so we didn't do anything. We do that at Lewis and Clark now is, is just, you know, it's usually a, 10, 15 minute drive and we give them a free dinner, you know, and then they just share their story with kids. And so I, I think there's just a, um, the common bond is football and how athletics have. So there's a connection generally speaking. And, uh, I, I think number one, there's just a genuine automatic connection that way and, and a care. So I suppose that's a starting point is just people connecting. One of the guys that you had brought up earlier, who you said had a tremendous impact on you. And I think you said the guy who probably had the biggest impact on Mike Riley of all of all the coaches and his own father and everyone Ad Rutschman may have been the guy who was most impactful for him. The funny thing is, and Ad has even joked about this, that when it's all said and done, he may be most well known for being the grandfather of Adley Rutschman, which is funny, but also kind of sad because he deserves plenty of admiration and respect just for who he was and his accomplishments. So for those who may be only loosely familiar with Ad Rutschman or may not even know that Adley has a pretty well-known grandfather in the Beaver State, what is it about Ad Rutschman that made him so impactful to those around him and, and practically, you know, inspiring and motivating? Uh, he was very wise, very accomplished, a very knowledgeable. Uh, and I think he always gave people value around him, if that makes sense. Uh, he always had a, a sense of value. He, he will talk about, you know, as a coach, you know, talk to your athletes and try to be a nine-to-one positive to negative, have messages high in information. Uh, but it was always – he did a really good job of always giving you a sense of value. Now, you had to work. <laughs> and, and, and so there were strong expectations for athletes, coaches, whoever was around him. And he, he had a, a – a, a, I'm going to say a, a systems – and he gave you freedom to, to do your own thing, but, but just high expectations. And then again, I'm going to say value. And so you, you felt like if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, I, I think what he did a really good job of getting you to that step four, if you would, where you could actually take off and do some things. So I think that's uh, the value piece and feeling esteemed uh, was, was something that, that Rutch did really, really well with his players. And so he was, he had a sense of humor. He was tough now. He had high expectations, but boy, he, he also had a, a, a fun side to him. Did you see little Adley running around much when you were coaching there, have any interactions with Adley over the years? No, he was, he was, uh, you know, by the time I was, I did not bump into Adley 
at all very much. So I first saw, heard about Adley probably when he was in high school and kicking that whatever it was, 61-yard field goal or whatever it was. So that was incredible. So, yeah. Uh, a great family for sure. Uh, switching gears a little bit, I, I w- wanted to ask, when you were growing up in Corvallis, 73 grad of Corvallis High School, I think it would have been maybe your seventh grade year when the Giant Killers season happened, 1967, and and some legendary players in that team and, and a – you know, one of the most legendary OSU seasons of all time. Do you remember being in Corvallis, you know, going to games or reading about in the paper? Were you there for the USC game at Parker Stadium in 67? What's your recollection? Uh, Absolutely. You know, it was a great time to grow up in Corvallis. And uh, that time you could ride your bike all over town and you might have somebody on your handlebars doing it, you know, but you were, you, that's how you got around in the Beavers. 67 was phenomenal you know and you're when it was an away game you're you were listening to it on the radio uh and uh, i think it was bob blackburn is, is my record i may be all screwed up but but anyway you're listening hanging on every word you know and all the wins and, and upsets that they they had and, and then the disappointments that you had too but but i did watch that uh usc game and oj and, and remember it very vividly uh, snuck down to the main main fields what you do as a kid you know and shoot I was about 12 years old um and uh but remember that game and celebrating and Mike Haggard I believe kicking the the game winner three zip how about that so no great great memories absolutely did you ever get to know Jess Lewis around OSU circles years later when you were coaching and get to to know the guy who you watch make a, a, a tackle of O.J. Simpson to save a touchdown? Yeah, when Jess was working facilities, what a beautiful human being. And, uh, yeah, what a, what a special guy. And it was fun, obviously. And then to watch him wrestle. I mean, his story now as a wrestler was incredible, too. So, um, you know, Jess Lewis was, was – it was, it was obviously very, very special to, to uh, be able to be a part of that, you know, after growing up in Corvallis. I, I talked with Jess recently. I'm going to get him on the podcast a couple of weeks from now, so it'll be fun to to recap, you know, that that game and you know everything that he's been able to do at Oregon State, working facilities and staying in Corvallis and all that. So he'll be he'll be a fun one to talk to as well. Great human being. Oh yeah. A um, couple of last things for you. Speaking of you know growing up in Corvallis and, and Corvallis High School, the 1970 basketball state title, I guess that would have been 3A at the time or 4A because it was only four classifications back right. then. Uh, 1970 basketball state champions, 1970 football state champions, undefeated, and 71 baseball for that matter. I don't know what was in the drinking water in Corvallis back then, but a lot of successful teams. Uh, what what was it like to play at Corvallis back then? I mean, a lot of names, Mike Riley and Gary Beck and Donnie Reynolds, Harold Reynolds and Chuck Solberg as the coach and yourself, a lot of guys like that. What? How can you characterize how special those teams were and just how, how many talented people were coming out of Corvallis? You know, it was a one high school town. And so it was, it was a large, large school, uh, nine, or excuse me, 10, 11, 12 junior high system. But, uh, it, it was it it sent a real you know when Chuck Solberg came he he was a I, I think a pretty special force in terms of helping change things around Glenn Kenny and and the kids that were on that team for the basketball team were were obviously incredible uh, but it was an unbelievable collection of, of people and uh, 
uh, for me, uh, I, I just remember as a freshman kid, ninth grader at the time, watching Corvallis uh, go to the championship game and, and not, you know, become the, the runner-ups, you know, didn't quite uh, get it. And then the 1970, uh, being able to be a, be a part of it as a sophomore. So it was, it was just something that you ascribed or desired to be a part of. And, um, but the special people, the Mike Riley, the Donnie Reynolds, the Gary Becks, the Darian Morace, Jerry Hackenbrooks, I mean, Kerry Agers. I mean, you could, you could go on and on about just a tremendous talented group of people that you were able to be a part of. Um, and it's still a, a, an incredible group. Steve Allen is, is keeping that group connected and, and um, but it's, it's an unbelievable group. And so, and, and they had a big impact on me just as terms of role models and character. Um, and and uh, so that was a big impact on my life is just their lives uh, in particular, how they led their lives. What was Mike Riley like as a quarterback? What, what was his style of play as a, a QB for Corvallis High School back in that day? You know, he was slippery as a quarterback, as a runner. Um, you know, he was left lefty and southpaw. People would say that Gary Beckwood was the better thrower. Maybe that was true. I don't know. But Mike was a great leader, great leader, and uh, boy, very good on running the option. We were more of an option team at that time, and and was effective throwing the ball whenever we, whenever Chuck called a pass play. Didn't need to very often, yeah. but uh, but he was a great leader. Always has been, and. Uh, I think people really galvanized or, you know, kind of uh, were pulled together with him. So smart, you know, very smart, very intelligent QB. I don't know if this is more of a recent trend. I was trying to pay attention when you were talking about Corvallis High. I've noticed that people from Corvallis tend to pronounce the name of the town Corvallis. People from outside used to say Corvallis. I was trying to pay attention how you say it. And since, you know, growing up in the 60s, have you ever noticed that? Do, do you say it Corvallis or Corvallis? <laughs> You know, I, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure how I say it. You know, <laughs> it might flip one way or the other. Yeah. Way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. One last fun question to end on. So there's a, there, I'm sure we could talk all day a lot about coaching stuff and Lewis and Clark, but uh, just for the sake of time, your daughter poked her head in earlier to say hi. And I said, Rochelle, if you had, what's, what's a question I should ask your dad while, while I got him. And she said, uh, I don't know, favorite pregame snack or something. So <laughs> when you're when you're uh, prepping for a game and you're a couple hours before game time, what do you, what do you turn to, Jay? If you you want to make sure you're not hungry on the sideline, what's your, what's your pregame snack? You know, uh, probably a stick of gum. I, I you know. I mean, I, I think I do. I don't know that I have much of a snack. You know, at Oregon State, kind of a cool thing. You know, higher budget deal, so you had a lot of little knickknacks. You know, orange peels, bananas, and some uh, protein bars and stuff like that. So that was always the easy thing here. You know, Lewis and Clark and Linfield, we didn't have as much. Uh, the budget wasn't as big, but uh, so we. I just usually grabbed a stick of gum, probably as much so as. You're a man after Pete Carroll's heart, huh? There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jay, for coming on the podcast. Uh, it'll be it'll be fun to to hear from Jess Lewis and any other guys who overlap with you. It's always really fun to hear about that era of Corvallis sports, Oregon State sports, and everything beyond. Well, thanks very much, Josh. Appreciate it very, very much. Go Beavs. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jay Losey. I feel like we could have had five different conversations, each touching on a different specialty of 
coaching philosophy or mentorship or just his time at Lewis and Clark or memories from Corvallis High School and the Giant Killers and growing up with all the talented players. I mean, there could have been five different podcasts and uh, maybe I'll come back months or a year or two from now and try to get more specific about one of those topics. But my thanks to Jay for joining the podcast. Last thing I'll say, if you enjoy this podcast and want to benefit a charity in any way, I don't use sponsorship on this podcast to make money. I just mentioned charities like Food for the Hungry. They do a lot of great work overseas and here domestically, helping lift people out of poverty and empower them for the next stage of life. So if you check out Food for the Hungry, they're online at fh.org. I'll put a link in the description. They're a great organization. Thanks again for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. I upload episodes every Monday and Thursday. So coming right around the weekend this Monday, we go back to the men's soccer program. Former Oregon State star and goalkeeper Matt Bersano, now with the San Jose Earthquakes, of the MLS joins me for Monday's episode. Also, don't forget to check out the Beaver Tales documentaries, a link in the description for that, and what that's all about as well. Until next time on the Beaver Tales podcast, I'm Josh Warden. Good night, everybody, and go Beavs.